Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. All right, welcome back to Training for Manhood. This is Dan Panetti. I've got David Salas with me, and it's been a while. Yes. I actually had to go back and look and... and uh, um, you know, it's kind of like looking back, looking back, looking back. And I was like, there he is. <laughs> we had a, um, what I thought was a really, really enjoyable conversation um, about great men. Um, we also did one on critical thinking, which was really cool. But that, the the conversation about great men kind of turned into the great man. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. Because we, as we talked about um, men and the things that we want to emulate and the, the character and the principle, um, from a Christian perspective, it's a very difficult thing. Um, not to just wrap that all up into one person and That's say, right. yeah. <laughs> say he's the man. That's um, right. you know, everyone else we talk about has some flaws, some failings, some different things where you could discount it. Um, but Jesus doesn't. Um, and so our conversation kind of turned into that. And then we recorded one just about other great men. And that one didn't work because, um, the technology was terrible. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> it's just that we're not perfect like Jesus. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the technology isn't either. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I wanted to go back and have that conversation with you again. So thank you for coming in. Of course. And um, we want to talk about great men. Now, there's a couple things that, that have led up to it recently in my mind. Uh, one is I um, I just got done with a podcast with uh, Dave Moore. Um, I think it's the last podcast that people listen to. And he was talking about um, the functions of an elder, uh, you know, men of prayer, men of the word, and then men who live a life that others want to emulate. And I was like, yes. oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That whole concept of of what kind of men do we want to be, um, and and you model that after other men, right? So my, my right. Thomas Watson right. quote, which, you know, is like in the back of my mind all the time, um, he said, great men are the mirror by which ordinary men dress themselves. That's awesome. And so just kind of that idea of, as a young man, right, which not, which is not me, um, you can kind of put yourself in that category. I'll, just, still. I'll take it. I'll You'll take it. it. Yeah. But as a young man, I'm looking for older men that I can say, hey, that's what I want to be. That's what I aspire to. Um, I want a marriage like that. I want to do business like that. I want to talk like that, right? Does that mean you know, like, so that concept yeah. is, um, I wanted to have that conversation with you because we started it of what kind of men and what are those men that you look up to and why? Yeah. Um, so David, thanks for coming in and of course, looking of course. forward forward to have it. So um, yeah. I, I guess we didn't do rock, paper, scissors before to, <laughs> to see who would start. So you know what? Since you're the guest... Um, I'll let you start. Start with the first guy that comes to your mind when I say, uh, David, who's a great man and why? And tell us about that person. I uh, Thank you. <laughs> so before I do that, I, I wanted to build off of something you just said, which is that we look for older men, but we're not just talking about older in age. Oh, yeah. We're also talking yeah. about in the past. Good. Because yep. truth, as we were just saying, truth yes. is timeless. Amen. And even if the, the, the circumstances are are not the same. The truth, the the nugget of reality, which is greater than the superficialities of the time, live on. Yeah. And so that I think is something that we have in common is that a lot of the people that we admire and look to for you know examples of of manliness are people from different eras yes. because of what they did. And I said eras, not errors. <laughs> so well, you know, well, okay. So, and and going to that. Some of the men that I admire from different ages, um, 
they did some things in their teenage years and early 20s that put me to shame as a man in my 50s going, uh-huh. oh, my goodness. I, I, I think, oh, of, um, you know, there's like a, a, a David Brainerd um, who I think died at like 26. Um, and, you know, as Jonathan Edwards is writing about him and I'm going, oh, my goodness, look what this man accomplished. He never even made it to age 30. Um, and then you look at uh, even even the framers of the um, of America. Yeah. Um, we're very, very young. I know Alexander Hamilton, you know, because of the, the musical, yeah. has gotten a lot of publicity, mm-hmm. right? But you look at the age of some of these people and when they, they you know, they're in college at age 13. <laughs> like, yeah. I know times were different then, uh-huh. um, but it's still a pretty amazing thing to think about some of the men and what they accomplished at a very early age. So if we're talking to young people, because that's kind yeah. of the primary audience, mm-hmm. it's just a young guy. I would say uh, one of the great things is as you look at other men throughout history, notice their age too, and, and yeah. kind of look at it and say, "Hey, if I'm you know if I'm 23, 24, mm-hmm. um, where should I be in comparison?" Mm-hmm. And and, and I, I do say this right. Um, there's a quote that I've used recently. You know, comparison is the thief of joy. Um, <laughs> but but the idea of of positive comparison mm-hmm. to kind of measure yourself against somebody, I think, can be tremendously positive. Yeah. Um, and I use that from a biblical perspective because I always think of like you know the Hebrews 12 concept, right? As as Mm -hmm. I look at, you know, my cloud of witnesses, um, I always kind of think of who are the men and women that have kind of um, navigated life ahead of me and then kind of pass the baton to me and say, hey, Mm -hmm. Dan Panetti, Mm -hmm. um, you know, take the baton and run with it now in your Mm -hmm. era Mm -hmm. and then pass it on to somebody else. Now, Mm -hmm. it may may be your boys or it may be just other people Mm -hmm. who have the similar... Um, interest and commonality that you do that the next generation they kind of pick it up and run with it and so in that in that sense these are what we're going to talk about is these are the people that I think are kind of in my cloud of witnesses so that's kind of a biblical concept for me from that so anyway I, I so want to say something else that you can cut out if it if it doesn't fit in this yeah, fit, yeah throw but it in there let's see where it goes society <laughs> today is weird in this because well, when when you were talking, I was thinking, well, what, what I don't want to do is tell people, well, if you're not at 13 going to college, well, you know, shame on you. But rather seeing the 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 fact that they had direction, the fact that they oh. knew what they were doing, and yep. they had this idea of what manliness was, and they stuck to it. Yeah. When society today is is warping things in this bizarre way that people are physically maturing sooner, but are encouraged. Or it's tolerated, or it's accepted that you'll stick around with your parents till you're 30. Or the, so there's this weird warping where you where you mature physically, but they're saying it's okay if you don't mature mentally and, until way later. And I think specifically for boys. Yes. So I think there's less of it for girls. Um, you know, the numbers that have come out, more and more girls are going to college, more and more girls are going to, um, mm-hmm. um, graduate school, more mm-hmm. girls than boys now, mm-hmm. first, first time ever. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's not a, a plus or a minus. It is just a concept to think about though, that our, um, our girls are maturing and our boys seem like they're delaying that maturity. Um, and it's, and it's okay to delay the maturity and for a young man. Yeah, it's almost, almost encouraged. Yeah, almost, almost encouraged. And I, I think that to me, if I were coaching against, not only Christianity, but if I were coaching against America, if I were coaching against men, right? If I were the enemy and I had a mm-hmm. game plan, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I would encourage yes. is for men yes. to kind of stick in adolescence as long as possible yeah. into their 20s, into their 30s. Who needs to grow up, right? Mm-hmm. Always have fun, right? It's mm-hmm. my second podcast that I did, which, which by the way, was just me talking. So it's really super boring. So nobody, <laughs> nobody listened to it. But I talked about just the idea of Peter Pan. I was like, oh it, my it goodness. Make, yes. right, it makes for a great movie. It makes for a lousy husband. 
Yeah, the whole, <laughs> the whole idea, the whole idea that you know, <laughs> hey, I'll never grow up, mm-hmm. and I'm like, that's sad, right? Yeah, and and I think it's sad too because I'm I'm you know I'm 53. Our kids are you know a couple you know getting out of college mm-hmm. and th- so we spend a lot of time with younger people, um, and you know they've got young kids and it's such a, it's such a great time of life. And I'm mm-hmm. always like, the next stage is even better. And they look at you like, oh, yeah, how could it be? I'm like, it is. It just yes. is. Every stage, every stage as you mature is so cool because. Mm-hmm. Not only are you in that new stage, but you have the stage that went before it, and you have both now. Yes. And that's the cool thing, yes. right? There's a I, fullness. Yes, I still have my kids when they were young as my memories, but now mm-hmm. I've got my kids as they're older, as the experience that I'm having now. So each one of those is amazing. And I, I wouldn't want to go back to you know a day before, because then I'm missing the day that God's got yeah. me in now. Yeah. So I think for men, that whole idea of, yes, you do want to mature, you do want to grow, you do want to get better in life. Um, don't stay stuck in adolescence. Don't stay, um, you know, the maturity of a 15-year-old. It's like, you know, that, that was great when you were 15. Yeah, yeah. But when you're 25, yeah. be the 25-year-old. When you're 30, be the 30-year-old. In fact, one of the great verses, right, Psalm 144, when David talks about how do you know that a nation's blessed by God? And he says, you'll, you'll look at it and it's like your boys will be like, you know, um, a well manicured lawn, a, oh, you know, that's awesome. plants that are, um, that are, you know, um, um, you know, manicured well, right? I can't remember specifically, but he says, and your girls will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. Mm. Um, but I, I, I laugh at that concept that, you know, well developed, yeah, your well young men, yeah. right. Will, you know, they'll, in a sense, they'll, um, they'll be a little bit more mature than they might even need to be at that particular age, right? Your 15-year-olds will act like they're 18. And your 18-year-olds will act like they're 23. And your 23-year-olds will act like they're 20. So that's not a bad thing. To have a little bit of maturity and a little bit of seasoning, even as a young man, that's a great thing to do. So So I had a very form... And we're rabbit trailing 100%. I had this really formative moment about... Ten years ago, okay, I went to this conference and one of the speakers showed a picture of a of a class of like sixteen year olds from like nineteen ten, okay, and they were all wearing suits and they all had these little like oh. you know bow bow yeah, ties yeah. and they all looked like they were trying really hard to be dressed like their dads. Yeah, and he was explaining that with the advent of technology, there is this perfect there is one demographic that all the ad companies and everyone targets. Yeah. And it's, I think it's 14 to 34-year-old men or, or 15 to 30-year-old men. Okay. Men specifically, because they are the most apt to fall for and purchase whatever it is that the TV is selling. Oh, really? And so that means that the women who are portrayed as attractive need to be attractive to an adolescent boy. Yeah. And so then grown men watch this and they're like, oh, that's what's attractive, and think that's the only thing that's attractive. They see people wearing T-shirts, and they think, well, that is the only way to be cool, yep. because everyone on TV is portrayed to be cool to a 14-year-old. Yep. And so we have this almost like this, like, I must stay an adolescent as long as I can as a man to stay cool and to be attractive and to do all these things. And I realized that, and I was like, wait a second. I was, I was at the time, I was 30. I was 30, 30 in a couple years. And I was like, I don't want to be a kid. Yeah. Why, why do I want to be that? I want my, you know, there's this, there's this ridiculous song. When you have silver in your hair, I'll still be there. And I was like, I want that to be my line to my wife. Yes. I want my wife to be beautiful. And I don't want to be attracted to a 14 year old when I'm 50. 
because the TV tells me that that's what's beautiful. I don't want to be interested in the things of a teenager because I'm not a teenager. Right. And there's this hunger. And I think what it is, you're talking about this fullness of understanding. There's this concept of, am I holding on to what I used to be Mm. or am I fully embracing who I am? And I am a dad. I am a husband. Yeah. I am a professional in yeah. my, my field of work. And if I keep trying to still be a kid who's into only sports and who's into only like the things that the TV tells me are cool for 15-year-olds, I'm going to remain undeveloped and dissatisfied. But I'm not. I'm happier than I ever have been because I've let go of trying to be a 15-year-old. Yep. And there is a fullness of joy that comes with just being the best man you can be. I love it. I love anyway, it. That's, this is that's where good. I'm at in my yeah, mind right we, now. We may never get to the men, but I love that. I will say this. The other part of why reading is so important for a young man. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Most books today are written, and I'll say this in, in the best way possible, right? Written to that third through maybe eighth grade level. And so it never really develops your mind if you're reading the drivel that is mostly being produced today, right? I even laugh, right? The, the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by uh, Dr. Carl Truman. It's an incredible book. It's 400 pages. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was recommended by a good friend saying, hey, listen, nobody's going to read a 400-page book. It's so incredible. It's, it's basically, he starts off the book with this. He says, um, if I were to tell my grandparents that I was a man trapped in a woman's body, they would think it was the start of a joke. So how did we, how did we get here today, right? And he walks you through, right, um, from you know art, history, science. Every, I mean, he walks you through everything to help you understand how the self now dominates um, the culture as opposed to the culture helping to shape the self. So That's it's an incredible right. book. 400 mm-hmm. pages though, mm-hmm. right? You should get a doctorate degree when you're done with it because it's really heady stuff. But somebody suggested to him, said, hey, Dr. Dr. Truman, nobody will read it because it's 400 pages. And so he wrote a 200-page book of it, right? So he took you know, millions and millions of thoughts and put them down into 400 pages. And then he's like, oh, but I have to make it a 200-page book because most people won't read it, which I was very impressed with. But I also thought how sad that you can't say to somebody, hey, this is worth the read. And, yeah. there's, and there's a lot of big words in there and it's going to be hard to read, but it's worth it and you need to do it. You need to push through that. And I think that's why I love reading Puritans mm-hmm. because it's hard to read. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not just, pa- they're, they are not page turners. <laughs> they are page pausers. Yeah. Right? Where you're stopping on a page and you, you might be on that particular page for a while. I say you have to, there's a lot to chew on. There's a lot to chew on. Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh-huh. And now, right, the stuff that's being produced mostly for people to read, um, it's like watching a television show. And, and so that's where, you know, as a young man, if I had to say to a young man, how do I produce myself and, and make myself mature? I'd say, go back and read some old books. Yeah. And, and wrestle with some great ideas that are yeah. out there because it's going to make you pause. It's going to make you think the Bible, of course, you know, is the timeless book yeah. to wrestle with. But yeah. there's some great stuff that's been produced by some other people mm-hmm. that you need to just know. You need to read. You need yeah. to. I have a book called The 100 Greatest Books of All Time. Is it about that big it's and about, it's a summary it's a, book? It's a, yeah, it's a, I, I think I might it's, have it's that so book good. As well. And it's just, it's from a literature standpoint, mm-hmm. but I try to go through mm-hmm. and I try to pick at least one of mm-hmm. those every year to read and to wrestle with. And it's like, that's just, it's, it makes yeah. you such a better person mm-hmm. to have that experience. And it's difficult. It's hard to do, but men do hard things. That's what makes yeah. them men. Exactly. Right? If we didn't do hard men things, we'd be Men enjoy the, t- the challenge the of a challenge. hard thing. Yes. They enjoy, that's the thing. It's an enjoyment. It's not, oh, I have to do this because, no. It's like, this is what I do. I roll up my sleeves. The it's, challenge. It's like hua, you know, and I know yeah. that sounds ridiculous. I have no military background, but, <laughs> but there's just something about yeah. it. You just, 
you know, ball those fists, clench your jaw, and just go for it. And then you come out the other side, and you're like, yes, I did. I read that, and that was awesome, and I'm better for it. This (laughs) this brings me to one of my first guys. So let's start with the first guy, yes. So uh, C.S. Lewis. And I know so he's good. he's he's a classic, yeah. and everyone quintessential. He's the exactly. He's a quintessential. When I worked in I worked in translation for a while. Okay, and uh, the book I picked up about translation and the art of linguistics had a preface by C.S. Lewis oh. about English, and I was yes. like, "What? He, this, yes. I thought he was a no. He was he was. I thought he was so a good. children's author. No, no, I thought he, he was sure a, wasn't. <laughs> right? I mean, it was so amazing how mm-hmm. many just just different genre of. Of writings that he did, yeah, brilliant across yeah. the board, yeah. fantastic way. Yes, what else do you like about him? Well, he so just to to finish the segue here from this, C.S. Lewis talked specifically about how reading outside of your age, excellent, was essential. Look at you weaving that in. Well, it, yeah. it just it was the nat- <laughs> it was the natural thing because. Yeah, he he talks about this specifically with regards to humility uh, about your time period. Uh, and if you think that because every generation thinks, oh, we're a progression totally, from the last. Totally. But that's only if you stay within the, the, the material of that generation. Amen. You go back and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. And then you, you recognize with a little bit more humility yes. the flow of humanity. And that's really good. But that's the, for C.S. Lewis, the biggest thing about him that I loved was the fact that he was able to find God through logic. Yeah, you know, he. Well, that's not the best thing about him, but no. he, his, in, his intellect. He didn't. So people today do this thing all the time, where they start going to a place where they're not sure what that means with regards to their worldview. Okay, and they stop quickly and turn on the TV. Mm. Whereas what he did was the opposite. He was like, well. This doesn't make sense. How do I make it make sense? And when he went all the way down the rabbit hole of the logical chain, he realized there was a God. Yeah. And then he had the um, he had the integrity to go, I now know there is a God. I don't know who that God is. But the only people around, he was in the UK, the only people around who are uh, believers are, are, for the most part in his time, they were Christians. Yeah. And so he's like, I'm going to start going to church yeah. because I don't believe in Jesus but I know there's a God, and so I have to fly my flag. Yeah. That was what he said. That's and of so course, cool. that brought him to Jesus and that beautiful relation that he had and the way he ended up writing mere Christianity and all these things. Yeah. But it was that intellect that brought him to that saving knowledge of the Lord because he was not afraid to go where society, especially in his circle of academia, was telling him it was ridiculous to go. That's so cool. Yeah. You know, a writer today um, that reminds me of C.S. Lewis is Jay Budashevsky. Um, and he has a book called The Revenge of Conscience um, and um, what, what You Can't Not Know. Um, but the same thing, right? He was, um, you know, kind of in that atheistic concept. And his thing was, how do I know what light is without understanding darkness? <laughs> how do I know what heat is without understanding cold? And so the concept of if you're looking at a world and you see bad, if, if, you, if you can look at anything and say that's bad, He's like, the only reason that that concept exists is because good must. Well, because, I, I, because I know exactly. that there's a good So where, so where do yeah. good and bad come from? And if it's only subjective, right, then good and bad really don't exist. Correct. Th- th- that whole concept of it, you know, hey, it's good to me, it's bad to you, it's right for me, it's wrong for you. It's like that, you know, throw that out with the trash because that doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Because you and I can both look at something and we can say, okay, that's wrong, 
for everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lewis right? talks about that in yes. Christianity. And he's yeah. like, if that's wrong for everybody, if we can find mm-hmm. something that's wrong for everybody, then then right and wrong, morality, that Correct. whole concept has Correct. to come from something that's objective, something from outside the system. It can't evolve, right? Um, and so where, where does that come from? And he's like, that would yeah, be God. That would be, yeah. That, that's, that's your definition of God, if something every outside line is, the system. If every line is crooked and you know it, it's because you know what a straight line Amen. looks like. Look at that. Yeah. So good. There's your uh, philosophy lesson <laughs> 101. <laughs> is it along really? The way, well, so. there you go. <laughs> Very good. Okay. So is it for C.S. Lewis your first one? That would be my, he would definitely be my first okay, one. Okay. My first one would be William Wilberforce. Oh, man. Um, and I'm, I'm a huge Wilberforce fan because I, I kind of fashion myself in that concept. Um, and if William were sitting here today, he would be laughing at me saying, you're, you're nowhere close to me, Dan. <laughs> and I would say, I know, I know. But I aspire to be. Um, and I think that Thomas Watson, again, um, one of the things he writes in uh, The Godly Man's Picture um, is if you know what a godly man is um, and you aspire to be that, one of the things that will happen is you'll realize how far you are from the ideal. Yep. But at the same time, he'll, see like, he'll say, but that's the greatness of the pursuit. If you're, right. if you're not pursuing to be a godly man, then he's like, what are you doing? And so if William were sitting here, I'd say, I know I'm not close to you, William, but I aspire to be. Um, and the reason that I love him um, is because he loved politics. And <laughs> from, from a young mm-hmm. man, I mm-hmm. loved politics, mm-hmm. right? I've always enjoyed politics in the political realm and just kind of the, uh, the idea of what politics is and the men and women that I've seen and a lot of them that I'm going to share today are, are in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, but William Wilberforce was just that incredible man, right? He um, abolished slavery in England. So if you, if you want to say, well, what did he do in his life, right? There's so many things that he did, but what he's best known for is in the yeah. 1800s, he actually literally almost as a, almost single-handedly, now yes. he would say, no, there's a whole yes, group of people yes. that work with them, all the different things. But if you read history, it's almost a single-handed, right? You know, he's the tip of the spear. He was the guy. For the mm-hmm. abolition of slavery from the nation, right? The, the you know, the... You know, from England, which at one particular point they said eighty percent of the English economy was built on the slave trade. Yeah, and he's the one fighting against it. So at one point he was the most, um, you know, reviled man in the yes. entire country. By the time he died, um, the the country had loved him. He changed not yeah. only slavery, but he changed the morality of England. Yes. Um, and and just he's buried in Westminster, you know, Westminster uh, Abbey. Wow. Abbey, and and so you know, it's just kind of an amazing thing. Um, I also love him because I've read some books about his writings to his children, huh. and he was a um, a very loving husband, and he loved playing with his kids and his animals, his dogs and his chickens. He had all sorts of different things. Um, but I also love on his walk to Parliament every day. Mm-hmm. He would walk, and they said it was like twelve miles. Um, he memorized Psalm one nineteen. Oh, and I, I'm like, going, yeah, exactly. I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so my son and I are starting to try to memorize um, a verse from every book of the Bible. Um, and, and there's, you know, a lot of verses that you have. You probably but I, already know. But, but, yeah, book, yeah. but I want one from at least every book. Mm-hmm. So if you said, you know, Amos, right? I'd say, you know, Amos, you know, 3.3, three, right? Or if you said, you know, Habakkuk, right? I mean, so I want one from every book of the Bible. So we're starting that. But it's kind of like inspired by... Um, William Wilberforce. He's one of my one of the guys that I put in my great cloud of witnesses. Oh, that's so cool. Yes. Who's your so second awesome. one? Well, we're gonna go. Um, we're gonna go missionary. Okay. Adoniram Judson. Okay. So Judson uh, again. So it's he was a brilliant man, a genius, genius man. He as I I'm sure you know who Judson is and, I, and sort of I know the, the name. story. Yes. He was. Um, a young guy who, who again, he probably started, I think, in, at 15, he was doing 
his college stuff in in uh, New England, and then he got saved, like mm-hmm. big time saved. And yep. he was the first missionary sent from America to another country. Wow! And he and his wife, who was also an amazing woman, they went traveled by boat to go to India. They joined the mission in um, Calcutta, I believe. Okay, the carry. And on his way on the boat, right, he has one set of funding. And he knew that when he arrived in India, Carrie was going to be there, and Carrie was a Baptist. And he was not a Baptist. They were sprinkling. I don't know what denomination they okay. were from, but they were sprinkling. Right. Right. And so him and his wife was, were like, by the time we get to India, we have to be able to prove our bona fides scripturally. Really? And so on the boat, they searched the scriptures and determined that they were wrong about baptism. <laughs> oh. So they arrived in India, and they had to write their their support base and say we're sorry we can no longer we're not going to be yeah whatever preaching we're, we're, we're that yeah. before so yeah. now they're in india with zero support wow because of their conviction Love and it. that's just one tiny little bit that shows the sort of heart of the man who just pursued god his whole life yes and uh, I mean, would, it, you, would have been easier to keep the funding much easier in India. <laughs> India, they would never, not for uh, one second, have known. They'd no. have been like, "Oh, he's doing missionary work." Yeah. And yeah, and uh, his he whole had life, that integrity. He had that integrity, and again, it was that pursuit of not being afraid to go where logic and the Lord take you. Oh, I love that. And there is an embracing of that that's just so crucial to becoming, well, to becoming a man of God. And yeah, we 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 miss that today. I love right. it. Anyway, love it. Judson. Very good. Okay, my next one. Um, and um, this has kind of grown over the years. It, it's really um, partly an appreciation um, for Abraham Lincoln as an okay. individual. Okay. Um, but Frederick Douglass um, is, is my next man that I'd say um, there's so much about his life that I would mm-hmm. love to emulate. And if you've mm-hmm. never read about Frederick Douglass and just uh, an incredible history of a man born into slavery, um, earned his way out of slavery, um, you know, became literate, uh, became an incredible writer, became a very, very good friend of Abraham Lincoln. But very interesting thing is when Lincoln um, issued the proclamation, um, the Emancipation Proclamation, mm-hmm. that actually kind of divided he and Frederick Douglass because really? Douglass thought he should have gone further. Oh, Mm-hmm. Right, so not just emancipating the slaves, but actually giving them citizenship, and a lot of what happened, right, moving into the South, um, and uh, you know the next hundred years of you know Jim Crow laws and things like that, really could have been um, overturned or done right, right, if and and obviously you know Lincoln gets assassinated, and so much of the policies. Uh, were undone after his assassination. And, mm. you know, the North and the South, as we were brought back together as a nation, mm-hmm. um, that particular issue, while slavery itself was outlawed, um, the idea of the humanity yes. right, of the black man, specifically in America, took another 100, 150 yeah. years to really get that. And that's what Frederick Douglass was really pushing for, right? Was, I don't want to just be free. <laughs> I want to be equal, Right? I, I want, right, I want to be recognized. Mm-hmm. I want people to understand, right, that God has created both of us. Yeah. Right. You know, and and whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're brown, whether you're right, it doesn't matter. Right. The humanity of the individual is what's important. So, uh, one of the lines that I love about him, he wrote this. He said, um, "Thus is slavery the enemy of both the slave and the slaveholder." Um, and I huh. loved that concept. Right, because we always look at slavery as a negative for the slave himself, which of course it is. It is. It is. But his thing was: imagine being a slaveholder, and and the part of your 
conscience that would have to be seared yes. to treat another human being like that. To allow you to exactly. act that way. Yeah. And so he's, he was saying that slavery is bad for both. And, and just, you know, from, from his perspective, to be able to know that and to own that and to share that, right? He wasn't just concerned about freeing individuals from slavery. He was concerned about freeing everybody from the institution itself and the idea that a person in power can treat a person who's not in power poorly. And he's like, and right. So my thing is always, I love that idea because if you're given power, if you're given influence, if you're given leadership, if you're given something to use that to better yourself and not to better others, I think is a mark of a person, right? That isn't a true leader and isn't a true man. I think manhood is about taking what God has given you and not only using it for your advantage, but using it for the advantage of others around you. Yep. Right. Finding, That's right. right the, the being the voice for the voiceless, right? If yeah. you want to take that Proverbs 31 concept. Yeah. Right, of being the strength for the weak, right? I think that is a principle that I see kind of echoed in the life of Frederick Douglass. Yeah, there is something so profound to both of the guys you brought up, Wilberforce and Douglass, because what you're talking about is a perspective on reality yes. that is different yep. from almost everyone else. Yep. Like Wilberforce, in a way, when you were describing what he did, he he allowed the psyche of the nation of England to become closer to what God wanted yes. it to be. Yes. And and that's barely mentioned, right? And the same with Douglas. His perspective was eternal. It was not on just the the short little exactly. span on yes. earth. Yeah. It was you do realize that on yep. the other side, that yep. slave is going to be in front of God yes. in a much purer state, you know, depending on the state of his soul. So good. Then the slaveholder who every day for his whole life chose to burn off a part of his conscience yeah. and to commit acts of cruelty to something that's made in the image of God. Yeah. They're both going to stand before God. And I mean, uh, that's such a beautiful perspective. And to me, that's probably the, the quintessential determiner of what you should do if you go into politics. Yeah. What is your world, not your world perspective, but what is your eternal perspective? Yeah. And actually, so um, Wilberforce wrote an incredible book called, we, we refer to it as Practical Religion or Practical Christianity. It's a, got a super, super long title. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wrote a book to his... Um, his fellow believers in England. And one of the things he said was, um, you have a Bible in your house, but you don't open it. I mean, literally the line in there, yeah. right? You have a Bible, but you don't open it because if you did open it, there's no way that you could come to the same conclusion and live your life the same way that you're living it now. Yeah. And that pushback, I love that pushback. That, um, that constructive criticism, yeah, right? And I think everybody needs somebody in their life yeah. to come in and say, hey, listen, <laughs> if you really evaluated your life and, 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 and every facet of it, right? And we, you know, we talked before, you know, your diet and exercise, I don't care, your, your reading, your intellect, your emotion, right? Every aspect, your business, how do you run your business? In every aspect of your life, you need somebody to come in and push back and say, listen, if you really evaluated it, in light of eternity, in light yes. of one day you're going to stand yes. before God and yes. give a defense for why you did this, this, and this, would you still do those things? Yeah. And I think a lot of people would say, well, no, not if I were standing in front of God, I wouldn't. It's like, whoa. Well, let's hold on <laughs> a second. Yeah, let's hold exactly. on a second. You need to live your life not as in one day you'll stand in front of God, but today you are. Yeah. Today you, today you have to give a defense yeah. for the words that you choose, yeah. for the attitude that you have, for the decisions that you make, as if God were literally standing there today saying, hey, David, are, are you, let's, let's, you going to do that right now? Not as if, because. Because. Because yes. God is right, right there. Love it. And, and the, it's one of the things that gets me 
well, not gets me, but it's very convicting to me, mm-hmm. is that do, do my actions represent to others that I actually believe? Yes. And not just to others, but also to myself. Yes. If I think that I, and this is, this is a tiny segue, but if I think that I have to change the way non-believers act before they come to know God, that says that I think that I am better at it than God. Yeah. It's like saying, well, there, I think there's a God, maybe, but he can't do it, right. so let me take care of it. Yep. If I do things in my business or in my action with my employees or, or any of the people that I work with that is a statement of what I'm doing today on earth is actually more important than my eternal future or their eternal future, mm-hmm. that is a statement about who I really am and what I actually believe. And yep. that terrifies me. Yep. Because there is that element in scripture, and we're, and we're not going to go there, but there is that element of, of, you know, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Amen. And, and so if you're not actually stopping and pausing and, and, and reflecting, well, then you're in trouble. Because reflection is, is the first step towards change and growth. I, I totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. All right. So um, that was my second one. Who's your, wait, do we already did your second one? Uh, uh, Judson, we, what's your second did, one? Who's your was, third? Um, um, I'm not sure if I should go Churchill or Pythagoras, but I think I'll go Churchill. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Very good. Uh, Churchill determination. Huge Churchill fan. And, and we kind of talked about how we'd throw potentially like a negative of each of these people that yeah, we just that we as a reminder that we're as in emulating a person's life. We understand that nobody is perfect. We are, we are not either. That's correct. But well, there, are, there are parts of your character and parts of your life that are worth emulating. Correct. And that's why we've picked these particular individuals. Exactly. Yeah. It's for those, it's for those, those virtues and not those vices. Yes. And so Churchill was definitely a virtue and vice-filled man. Yes, he was. <laughs> but I, I but sure some, loved him. But some of I his sure vices were even funny. Oh my right? goodness, the bathing! Yeah. Have, did you hear? He would have to, He had to have two baths a day. Okay. And um, when he was he was traveling on by train in the Middle East, he had them stop the train, pull water from the boiler, fill a tub, and the whole train waited while he took a bath on the side of the on the side of the track. Because baths were important. Baths were important, and uh, apparently modesty wasn't. But <laughs> but it's. I mean, the man was the man was a force of nature. Yeah, and um, that it, it's the dogged determination. I love it's it. the it's the it doesn't matter. We're getting back up. Yep. And that he even spoke like a bulldog. <laughs> and um, and literally, literally dragged a nation right um, through a world war. Yes. Um, protected it from Germany when the rest of the nation had no idea, right? You know, we'll, you know, we'll go along, we'll go along with Hitler. Yeah. He's like, yeah. no, we won't. No, we will <laughs> not. You know, one of the great things I love about Churchill is how he saw the threat of Russia at the same time mm. and and knew. I know mm. we just got done with the World War, and I know we just got done with Adolf mm. Hitler and all that stuff. But he's like, mm. if we don't if we don't address Russia right now, but of course. People at that particular time were not ready to continue or weary. Mm-hmm. But oh my goodness, can you imagine if his leadership, instead of being voted out as prime minister yeah. after World War II, yeah. if the world had said, hey, whatever this man says, we need to follow because yeah. he sees it and he understands yeah. it, we probably could have avoided an entire Cold War oh, and Russia could have been removed from the whole yeah. communism thing. Oh my goodness. Yeah, the Soviet bloc. Yes. But um, he, there's this awesome book that I'm going to, since you've mentioned a couple called The yes. Splendid and the Vile. Okay. And it's about, it's all these, um, it's a compilation of like journals and from the people who were around Churchill during World War World War II. 
And so it shows a lot of like his mindset and how he dealt with things every yeah. day and his, his dogged, like America must join in this fight. Yes. And the, yes. the fine line he walked between being optimistic so that America would think it was worth joining the yeah. fight and being realistic so that America would realize the urgency of let's get in this fight. That's right. It's a very, very cool thing, but I'm yeah. going to read a Churchill quote because one must. Yes. One must read Churchill. Um, and this is, um, this is from that time period. He says, if you're going through hell, Keep going. Amen. Never give in. Never, never, never in nothing, <laughs> great or small, large or petty, except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. I love it. Yeah. Never, 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 never. Yeah. And I think that today, the enemy that I face, the biggest enemy that I face is myself. And my want to be comfortable and not to change that thing and not to humble myself and be kind. And if Churchill not... were here, he'd say, David, don't give in to that. Don't give in. Yes. Never, never, never. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. It's so good. All right. Um, oh, and speaking of books, I'll say this. Um, find a biography about a great man. Yes. And read it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read a number of books about Churchill. Love them. Um, I've read a number of books um, about uh, William Wilberforce. One of mm. my favorite was the one um, that I that I have here by Eric Metaxas called Amazing mm. Grace. They actually made it into a movie. It's a yes. fantastic, fantastic book. Uh, if the actual individual themselves has, have written, yes. that read their writings as well, which, yes. which are mm-hmm. great, great, uh, incredible resources, mm-hmm. uh, which led me to an appreciation um, for one particular man, uh, John Quincy Adams. Oh, wow. Who mm-hmm. I've always had an appreciation for because of a specific thing that he did. Uh, and that was John Quincy Adams was obviously the son of John Adams, the second president of the United States. John Quincy comes in, he becomes the sixth president of the United States. But one thing that a lot of people don't realize about him is after he was done being president, he went back and became a congressman. Now, oh, now interesting. Just, just mm-hmm. think about that concept, right? Mm-hmm. From a today's perspective, right? A person who's president and he's like, yeah. you know what? My work was not done. I'm going to go back and I'm going to run for Congress. And you're like, that is a huge <laughs> step down, yes. right? But his issue, and then we're going back to the issue of slavery because mm-hmm. he was there in the you know early 1800s here in America. Um, he didn't feel like he only got one term as, as president. Mm-hmm. He didn't feel like he was able to, as president, do what he needed to do. So he went back, ran for Congress, and was so incredible, influential, Okay, so one of the books I I read about him specifically dealt with this particular thing that happened, that Congress passed a rule in Congress, and it was a gag rule that said that nothing about the issue of slavery can be brought up as a bill in Congress, because they didn't want to outlaw slavery, okay, and a new member of Congress was coming in, John Quincy Adams, who used to be the president of the United States. And he had such an incredible groundswell of people who followed him, who supported him, who said, that's a great man. And he wanted to abolish slavery in America, very similar to what Wilberforce was doing at the same time in England. Mm -hmm. John Quincy Adams tried to do here, but they had enough people in the House that forced him for nine years of his congressional term they banned him from, from saying from, anything, from, from ever saying anything on the That's House crazy. floor. Well, which led, of course, unfortunately in America, which led because we weren't able to do it legislatively, we ended up in 1860 having a war. Yeah. Right? And you look at the mm. difference between England and America. You mean free speech is important? <laughs> yes, what? it is. Allowing people to say what? What? Whatever, whatever they want to say. Because no. if you disagree with mm-hmm. it, you have the opportunity. And so that's one of the things I love about John Quincy Adams was that dogged determination, that fight. that Never, never, never. Never give up. And then mm-hmm. the cool thing was at the very, very end of his life, a mm-hmm. lot of people have seen the movie um, 
uh, oh my goodness, what, what was the name? It was the ship um, that was supposed to, it was a slave ship. Oh, yeah. Uh, right. That was supposed to go down to, um, you know, somewhere in yes. the Caribbean mm-hmm. and it got, you know, sidetracked. Um, deviated north. Deviated and- north. And he ended up, because he was so incredibly powerful, he ended up um, arguing that particular case and winning and getting those slaves their freedom here in America. That's awesome. It's just amazing, amazing, amazing life. Could have been a man of privilege. My dad's the president, you know, Mm. just take all the Mm -hmm. things that he has. Um, But he used them. Mm -hmm. And even the humility to take a lower position to just keep on fighting. I love that about John Quincy Adams. That's so powerful. Okay, so here's the deal. We could go on. Yes. Forever. (laughs) There's so many incredible men. We're probably going to have to pick it up and, and do like a session two at some point um, and, and just keep on going. Because you know what's funny? There's some, there's some men in my life um, that didn't write a book and weren't yeah. super famous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think about my father-in-law, um, you know, Bud Snyder. He, you know, played football and wrestled at Wyoming. And I got to marry his daughter. Um, but I watched him live an incredible life of humility and servitude. Um, that I want to emu- I want to emulate that as well, um, and so it's it's kind of a neat thing. God's placed me around a number of great men. It's amazing, um, and I've actively tried to pursue right uh, Bruce Kern, who's my spiritual father in Austin. Right, he did our premarital counseling because mm. I actively wanted to pursue a man to mentor and disciple me. Uh, to prepare Trisha and I for marriage. Uh, when I came to to Dallas, right, I actively pursued who's who's the man who's going to model. God put me in touch with Mike Fetchner. Yeah. And he was a man who, you know, mentored and discipled me for three years. And so I think as a young man, actually a man of any age, you need to actively pursue. Um, and as you said, not just the age, right, but the maturity. Find a man who's further along the path of manhood than you are mm-hmm. and say, hey, I want to sit down. I want to learn something mm-hmm. from you. Even if it's just sharing a cup of coffee and saying, hey, how do mm-hmm. you do business well? How do mm-hmm. you do marriage well? How do you do life well? Take some notes because everybody's willing to share. Yeah, I would I would say first define, find for yourself what manhood is. Love it. Then find someone who, who has gotten down the road in that way. You don't necessarily need a, a muscly, a muscle-bound gym guy and yeah. be like, that's a man. Yeah. But more, you know, who who's been a good father? Yeah. Whose children have, have done well? Who has who has a walk with the Lord that I want? Who find out what you understand is really a man well, I see, and I, then find the people. I, who I love that, that concept, right? If I, if I want to go to the gym and I want to get stronger, right? I do find a guy who's bigger, stronger. Correct. And I say, Hey, what are you doing? Correct. If I want to evaluate life so that when you place me in that box and stick me in the ground yep. and I want the people around me to say, Hey, that was a life well lived. Exactly. Then find those people. Exactly. Right. Find exactly. those people. And, and they're not going to be perfect. So, no, so don't mistake no. that. Mm-hmm. Right. But find those people who say, Hey, they've done life well. And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to learn from them. And yeah. that, that's a great reminder for us yeah. as men. So hopefully, guys every, of every age, whether you're 13 or whether you're 73, there's, some, there's still stuff to learn out there. Amen. Find a man to do that. And, and if you can't find one who's living and breathing, pick up a book of a dead yeah, guy. exactly. <laughs> and start there. Yeah. Find a church father <laughs> and use them as a and mentor. use them as a mentor. <laughs> I love it. David, thanks for the conversation. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. That's training4manhood.com. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man.